Welcome to the TAGT podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT podcast. This podcast was recorded at the 2023 TAGT Gifted Plus Equity Conference. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at RenzuliLearning.com. Today we're chatting with Dr. Kim Lansdowne. Kimberly recently retired as the founding executive director for the Herberger Young Scholars Academy at Arizona State University. She received her doctorate at ASU in 2008 and has a lengthy career in teaching and administration at universities, colleges, public, and private schools. She develops and teaches graduate-level educational classes, typically teaching education courses on curriculum, instruction, testing, measurement, and special needs. She was recently awarded the 2023 Lifetime Achievement by Arizona Association for the Gifted. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Kim Lansdowne. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. (laughs) Uh, It's so cool to have you. I know you had quite a journey getting here. We're at the Gifted uh, Plus Conference here in Galveston. And you're from Arizona State. Yes. What brings you to share your message here in the great state of Texas? Well, first of all, I get to come to this beautiful place in Galveston, right? Yeah. What a a gorgeous place. Um, So I have been really working for many, many years on sharing um, my thoughts and ideas on equitably identifying underrepresented populations. So serving the underserved is the the Mm -hmm. tagline for this conference. So it is absolutely perfectly um, poised for the the talk that that I'm giving tomorrow. I actually have two. So one is on um, gifted identification and inclusive programming. Mm -hmm. And the other one that I'm doing, actually it's it's very new to me. This is gonna be the second time that I've ever done this presentation. What I, what I did was I was at NAGC last year, and as a person who is very interested in testing and measurement, I actually you know filled out my agenda and I went to as many um, presentations that I could on testing, like mm-hmm. the, tu- the types of tests that are, that are given. And um, as I went in and out of those rooms, I found myself sitting with the same set of people and they were mostly the, the psychometricians, so the people that, you know, really high level of understanding mm-hmm. of these these tests. And so I walked away from that really thinking about the just the practicality of, uh, in, the, in the basic knowledge of these five assessments that we use across the country. And so my presentation tomorrow is on those top five assessments, um, the cognitive abilities test, the Wexler Intelligence Scale for Children, the Naglieri Nonverbal Ability Test, the Woodcock-Johnson, and the Iowa Assessments. Wow. And so that's what my presentation is on tomorrow. Okay, this is fascinating, and it's kind of a can of worms, too, because I think when you talk about assessment, you know, just being here in the state of Texas myself and uh, being in my district for a long time, you start talking to other districts. We have state expectations, which maybe that would be interesting to find out what Arizona says. But I know the state of Texas, we have expectation on assessment and what that looks like. But each district does it very differently and interprets it very differently. There's a lot of 
uh, competition, I feel like, for the different resources or vendors that we use. But I think at the end of the day, it's kind of down to, well, you know, ID for what? What does this all mean? What is the data telling me? Right. So I'm sure this is a fascinating place to dive into to compare uh, those five alone, much mm -hmm. less the others that are out there. Yeah, so it, it, you, you just described by, I think, slide number three. So my <laughs> slide number three in my presentation is, what are you testing for? Testing for what? Yeah. What, what are you hoping to accomplish? Mm. And so in my work, and with Dina Brius and Jack Naglary, the three of us work, have worked together for a very long time, we are really trying to develop an understanding of how to identify those typically underserved students. And the testing for what is the most important question mm. that you can ask yourself. And I think it's it, my, much of the time, I'm not going to say all of the time, but much of the time, um, districts develop their programs, mm -hmm. right? And then yeah. they test kids and then they, they're, but they're testing for that program. Mm. And we have students that don't fit into that program. Mm. So talking through, if you're testing for a particular program, let me just give you a quick example. Yeah. When I was in Scottsdale School District and I was there for many, many, many years, we used the cognitive abilities test for every testing situation we had, unless they were special um, education kids, then we used the Wexler. But we use the cognitive abilities test because we had a program for high achieving kids. Yeah. So what we did was we tested our kids going out of elementary school, moving into middle school. Okay. And if kids tested high on the quantitative portion of the cognitive abilities test, where'd we put them? Mm -hmm. In honors math or right. a year accelerated math, right? Yeah. If kids tested high in the, the verbal portion, we put them in honors language arts. Okay. Right? What if you're a kid that just didn't have those kinds of skills that right. were necessary for a test like the cognitive abilities test because it's very skill-based? Mm -hmm. What if you're a kid that was super smart but just didn't have those skills? Mm -hmm. And so those are the questions that we're, we're really trying to delve into and, and come up with ways to... Um, and to make that paradigm shift of it's not, we can have really smart kids that have not had those types of resources, have not traveled, have not, were not read to as kids, you know, all of those, those resources that a lot of kids have, um, but still have the need for higher level education. And we're, we're missing those kids and we're missing those kids everywhere we go. Yeah. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what, so what's the what's the answer? Uh, maybe that's too big <laughs> of a question, but like, you know, maybe you're a, a GT specialist or coordinator listening to this right now in the state of Texas, and you're saying, you know, we're struggling to identify some of those kids. Mm -hmm. We have our process. Maybe it's been the same process for 20 years. You know, you're trying to incorporate all this data. You're trying to triangulate. You're trying to find the kids, but but but. Where do we go? What do we do? How do we how do we assess better? Is the is the answer more assessments and triangulating things? Is the answer taking the data we have and having a fresh look at it? Right. What what would you say? Local norms. Okay. Local norms. So um, when I was working on my PhD, I asked my board, school board, 
if I could do a pilot program, I love pilot programs because, yeah. you know, people aren't, this is, it's not forever. And so asking for a pilot program is, is a, a good place to start. Uh -huh. And so what we did was we went into our Title I schools that we had a very difficult time identifying those typically underserved and underidentified kids. And so um, we went into that, that program or those schools and at the time, again, we were using the cognitive abilities test. And so what we did was we tested every student at the beginning of third grade. For my pilot program, we tested mm -hmm. them at the beginning of fourth grade and at the beginning of fifth grade. It was a one-year program. And what we did was we, in the state of Arizona where I live and mm -hmm. many, many other states have that cut score of 97, 98, 99, right? Okay. Really typical. Yeah. So what we did in, in that pilot program is we looked at the kids that were just the top kids in that school. Mm. So for one of my schools, honestly, the top kid in the school had a 90th percentile, but it was the top kid. So what we did was using, they, we didn't call them local norms at yeah. the time, now it's, now it's clearly defined as local norms, but we took the top kids in that group. So all of the third graders that we tested in Tonalia School, we took the top kids in that grade level and we provided them services. Mm -hmm. um, the, there are some challenges to that, and I know that you're already thinking through, well, then they're not really identified, are they? Hmm. And so you have to be able to communicate with parents and with teachers and with administrators, what does that look like in your gifted program? Yeah. Um, but local norms, that is the, the place to start with universally screening, right? Screen mm -hmm. a group, whatever the group that is. Find what your biggest need is. Look at the data you have right now. What group, what, what um, school group location really is not meeting that demographic match between the demographics of that school, you should be able to do that super easily, right? Mm -hmm. this, these, this is what the demographic looks like at this school. If your gifted program is nowhere near that, you've right. really got to do something. Man, there's so much here because I feel like, you know, this has been a big part of, uh, I know, my journey. I'm sure so many people who've tried to kind of move into this space relative to where their district is at with local norms and I myself have had a principal tell me when I tried to identify based off local norms, if you were to take that kid out of my school and go down to this other school, they wouldn't be gifted. What's your response to yeah, that? I, I cannot tell you how many times <laughs> I have answered that question. Right. So um, one of the things that, uh, that I have used, and I've used it very successfully for, for many years, and it really does come down to communication. Hmm. So what we do is we send a letter home that says to parents your child has been identified for needing additional services at this school based on the local group. Hmm. It's not a national group, it's a local group. Okay. Therefore, local norms. Absolutely. So based on all of the kids in this group, your child is showing a need that is very different from the mean at this school. Mm -hmm. So we are going to service your child in, within this group at this location, yeah. which means if you decide to go to another school, this, this score will go along with you. Let's go back to that 90th percentile kid. Right. Your score is always going to be the score for your child on this particular 
setting, right? Yeah. Um, but they may have a different set of criteria because it's a different group. Right. In your child with it, I use sports analogies all the time when yeah. it comes to, you know, I mean, it's so easy to talk about, you know, my son played baseball forever and ever and ever. And mm -hmm. in the group that he was in, he was fantastic. By the time he got to middle school, you know what? The group was a lot bigger at that point. Mm -hmm. He was, he, he was still a really good baseball player, right. but he wasn't that different from the me. And then when he got to high school, Right, it's so easy to kind of talk through the larger the group, the different the needs are for that group. Yeah, man, and I, I think that's encouraging um, because even in our, our state definition, which is gonna be similar to the others and in right. going back to the Marlin Report or whatever, talking about students when compared to others of the same mm -hmm. age, right. experience, or environment. But I think there is still, what I still see is that even though that, that language is in our definition of GT from the state, still people come to us saying, but tell me what the cut score is. I know. And I think there's something, I don't know if it's just something natural, just our own experience that we had growing up. I don't, right. or, or maybe it's people have high expectations academically. Uh, maybe that's not the right term to use of what the gifted should mean that it's got to be deserved on that certain type yeah. of level. Um, but I don't know. How do you interact with that? I know you just described it a little bit. I know in Arizona, is there similar language like that to where oh, absolutely. people are have more permission to do local norms than maybe what they would think to do? Well, one of the things that we talk a lot about is, let's just go to, I mean, we're, we're not suggesting that um, people stop servicing those 97, 98, okay. 99 right. kids, right? Because for the most part, your state will tell you, you must, right? right? So we are saying, continue to service those kids, but why can't you bring in more students to work with? What I have found over my years of, of, of doing this type of programming, those kids really do learn very quickly because they have potential to learn very quickly. Yeah. They have the ability. If you put them in with that group that, that we're all moving along quickly at the same pace, yeah. test them again. I've had, I've had kids in my, my PhD program, we increased the population in those title schools by over 300%. Really? And it was, wow. and it was a year. It was a year of, of providing these enriching services that met those kids' needs. Yeah. Finally. Finally. Because that's the danger, right? Because I think ultimately, even if you're someone who's against local norms, let's say, and we're not identifying at a certain campus or within a certain population or whatever, what I still feel like the risk is now that kid does not have any acknowledgement or services and they have to move at the pace right. that probably the average kid in their class is moving. Mm -hmm. That's what I worry about. That's the visual I always go to is that there's still kids outpacing peers who are not going to be a good fit for probably what the teacher, the gen ed teachers, there's a lot of pressure on them to get everybody to move up. It's right. going to be hard for them to target those kids. You know, right. I don't know. That's just the visual that comes to mind for me. So I have, a, I have a story that I've told over and over and over again with a student that I had um, on, a, on the Wexler, which I, I've used more in my career than really probably any other assessment. Oh, wow. Um, he had a 145, 145 student. He was a third grader. And he and I were talking one day 
um, about what he felt. I was actually interviewing him. And tell me what it feels like to, to go to school every day. You know, he's mm-hmm. a little third grader. He should love going to school. It should be really exciting, right? Right. Um, t- talk to me about, about going to school every day. And he looked around, and he found a stapler, like just a typical stapler. And he said, here's what this is like. And he very slowly explained to me what a stapler is. Wow. And how to use it. And he painstakingly said, you hit this button and the stapler opens. Do you see this? Do you, do you, see, how, do you see how this works? And then you put staples in right here. And if you run out of staples, I mean, he went through this laborious explanation. And he said, now, imagine every single day oh, no. when you come to school that somebody, he says, it's not about the stapler, but it's always about something right. like that. And he said how, and he even said to me, I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have any control. I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine having something like that every single day? So you've learned how to multiply fractions, but the right. class hasn't. Right. So we're going to do a remediation on multiplying fractions. Well, and even worse than that, he had to teach the other kids how to multiply fractions. You know, that gets, <laughs> oh man, that taps a nerve in me because... If a kid is showing advanced ability in understanding mathematically how to multiply fractions or whatever it is, mm-hmm. they haven't shown a giftedness necessarily in being able to teach other kids. Right. And so you play the risk game of hopefully they enjoy doing that when maybe some, what I found, at least anecdotally, is that those kids would go and have a good time with the kids that they're supposed to help out with. Now, I'm generalizing here. There's always exceptions to the rules, mm-hmm. and other people have different experiences. But I appreciate you bringing up that example yeah. because... That's not always what works for those kids, right? You know? right? And sometimes behavior issues are a result of right. go and work with that, with that kid. And mm-hmm. it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain this to somebody. Right, right, right. Maybe they just get it a lot, a lot more easily mm-hmm. to someone who, if they have that same data, it doesn't work. Now, I, again, I know there's examples of kids explaining mm-hmm. stuff to kids and they get it. And, you know, but that, so, that strikes a nerve with me for sure. So I was, I was super fortunate um, 12 years ago to be able to start this early entry program at Arizona State University. And um, we started with kids that were turning 13 the year that they started the program. So, so kids okay. 13. And we um, would interview parents and talk to parents about really what they were looking for. It was a brand new program. We could do whatever we wanted to. It was, it was both exhilarating and terrifying, to be perfectly <laughs> right. honest with you. Um, but I had so many moments over the course of that first year where I would have conversations with crying parents that, said, mm. that would say, my child's never been invited to a birthday party before they came here. Because what they were finding were those like-minded mm. kids. They weren't all brilliant and you know black holes. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't even that. It was just that they could find another kid that wanted to talk about black holes. <laughs> right, right, right. Like it was just that 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 social interaction. And I find the academics. We can work on the academics. We really can, and, and especially with all of the online programming right now. Kids can meet, get, find those extra academics. It's really that social piece for, for these gifted kids that they need to find their, their peer group. They need to find their tribe. They need to find the people that, that are, are like them. And for a lot of kids, they don't find that until they're really in college. 
where they're finally in a place where they're like, oh my gosh, yeah. I want to talk about that too. <laughs> Man, you're, you're just get me thinking that assessment and great assessment, and I know this is obvious, I guess, to a degree, but great assessment doesn't have purely just something to do with the ID and placing these kids, but if there's a social and emotional potential component to this of like, really it's a mean to getting those kids plugged in socially and emotionally with their group, right. with their tribe, their peer group, yeah. I have said so many times that this, I, I'm not sure people understand the importance of identifying kids properly and early, because let's face it, it, it has the potential of changing the trajectory mm. of their lives. I mean, it really does. And I know that sounds like, but, but it's true. Right. Like it, it is. And if we can find that way to identify, and there's, there's many, many ways that we can look at identification and, and the multiple pathways and how to, how to identify students. I, I'm happy to see that it's much more broad than it was, say, Right. 25 years ago, yeah. or really 30 when I first started in this field. Um, there's a lot of different ways of looking at identification. I would just like people to be able to look at identification through this lens mm -hmm. of equity. And I, I just don't know how you can argue against that. Right. Right. It's, it's the right thing to do. You know, the planets are aligned. This is the time. We have to do this now. But... It takes courage to try something different. It mm. does. In education, we're, we're pretty set. You right. know, and this is the way we've always done it. But gifted education, since the beginning of gifted education time, it's the, you know, the, the one shoe doesn't fit all. Let's take a look at kids individually. But we still are mm. going through assessment protocols and assessment policies, processes, and they're very similar to what they were 30 years ago. And maybe this is too big of a conversation, maybe for another podcast too, but I feel like what really complicates it is ultimately we incentivize achievement in we a do. way that really sometimes misses, let's just serve the needs of the kids. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, but ultimately we got to get this kid to get a certain score and, right. you know, it's just, a, it's a complicated uh, formula there at least. So, okay. Yeah. There's so, I mean, I feel like we can go a lot of different ways with this, <laughs> but let me ask you about this. So you brought up those five assessments. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons why I want to ask you about that is that, you know, I have my experience with, uh, in our district, we've done the COGAP. We did, you know, Iowa at one point, mm -hmm. uh, we're now doing the NAT three, you know, and I, I'm guessing other gifted educated educators know what they do, but they maybe don't understand the difference, the options, why some, do you have any advice? Could you maybe break those five down even to say, this is what they're for. This is what they tell us. These are the ones that I think you should be looking at. Okay, that's a whole hour presentation okay, right um, there. <laughs> start now. <laughs> um, so it's interesting because over the course of the years that I've been in gifted education yeah. and, and primarily focused on identification, I have used all five of those in different mm -hmm. states and in different school districts. And I can say with great confidence that each and every one of those five assessments are really appropriate for okay. certain groups of kids or even individual kids. So um, let me give you an example. Um, my school that I just retired from, the Herberger Young Scholars Academy, because it is associated with an accelerated program, 
it is. That's that's the design of the program. Mm -hmm. We use the the WISC five for every single student that's tested, every single one. Could you use the WISC five for every single gifted school student in, or potential in your district? Mm. No, you can't. It's too expensive. You cannot do that. Yeah. And so, it's the needs of the kids that you really are looking at. So. Um, if I had a student that, let's just say I use the NNAP, and let's say I use the, the Naglieri, and we've got a kid that's scoring uh, 130 and above, mm -hmm. what type of program would be appropriate for that student? Mm -hmm. So that's what I do in that, in that presentation. We, get, we go through each one of those, the cognitive abilities test, and we actually talk through the types of um, the, the categories and what those categories mean, because I'm not absolutely certain people even understand the great similarities among those five assessments, right. but also the great distinctions between them as well. So some are very expensive, and because they're expensive, you simply cannot use them. Some of them are you know, individually um, administered, some are group administered. Like There's all of those questions that you mm -hmm. really have to ask when you're looking at, and, it, and honestly, for me, it goes back to those demographics, okay. right? If your demographics of your school are this, and your gifted program does not meet that, that's where you start. That's right. where you go to your administrator and say, okay, through the lens of equity, mm -hmm. this is not okay. Yeah, why are we and, in the wrong? And I don't yeah. know an administrator that would not say to you, okay, I see that. Mm -hmm and let's try to work on an, an identification procedure. <laughs> let's try it. That's why I love pilot programs. Let's try it. It's a year. Let's right. give it a try. If it works, you've got the data, you can prove it. It's hard not to continue mm -hmm. on with that. Mm -hmm. The one thing, though, that I will say um, now, sitting in 2023, that I would not have said pre-pandemic, but we really clearly are seeing the research that shows that academically, yeah. we have kids that have, I mean, the gap was there before the pandemic, but now the gap is tremendous. And if we are using assessments like the Iowa, I'm gonna call it right out, okay. what it is, because the Iowa is an achievement test. Mm -hmm. And an achievement test means you've sat in third grade and you've learned all of these third grade skills, and at the end, you are going to show us how much you know, mm -hmm. how much you know your knowledge. But if we're looking at kids that did not have those resources during the pandemic, and they did not keep up with the academic mm -hmm. growth of other kids that did have those resources, and then we're using an assessment that for a gifted program right. that is based on achievement, it, it's, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. We're, we're only going to find exactly what we're looking right. for. So we might have a huge disparity, not because the student is incapable of reaching the expectations, but because they didn't have a good internet connection at home, yeah. you know, or something like that. Think about work. those kids that, right. that didn't. And parents worked two jobs, and they didn't have a computer. It's mm -hmm. just... It, and, it was a long time. I okay. mean, this was a long time for some some schools. Some right. schools were off for such a long time. I really am fearful of 
this group of kids that have had this two-year mm-hmm. pandemic experience, how are we ever going to really mm-hmm. catch those kids up? Right, right. And if we're using assessments that for entry into gifted programs based on achievement, we're not going to find those kids. We're right. just not. So the emphasis I'm walking away with is no matter what tools you're using, uh, it's almost like you can't let them to excuse not finding the kids who are in need of these services. That's got to ultimately be the goal is to find the kids to be that Renzuli talent scout. Mm -hmm. It's not to find reasons not to put kids in, you know? Right. So the, I think the, if I could simplify everything down into just a few sentences, it really is, screening a group of students and you decide what that group is what would it be for you the group of students yeah, that what are... group would you say right now in your district that you go ah oh, the, the the demographics just aren't working oh i mean sadly i feel like there's a few groups that we try to target with that because we're trying to get our whole community around it because that's part of it is that will champion groups, but we almost got to get other people on oh, the bandwagon do. a little bit. So, you know, African-American, especially young African-American boys capturing them. Our special education population is sometimes an uphill battle where people will say, hey, those Venn diagrams don't mix. Sorry, this is, yeah. I have a bigger answer than maybe you were hoping to have, but there's, we got groups that we look at every year that we're like, hey, we're going to go out and find those kids. Our emergent bilingual uh, can sometimes be an issue there as well, even though they're an overwhelming amount of our district. So yeah, sorry. So and, there's And those kids are learning two languages. Right. Right. right? So right. so it's finding the students whatever that group is. Mm-hmm. You de- you define it. I'm not I don't I'm not going to say I know what group every district needs right. to look for, right? You define that group. You screen all of the kids in that group and you then find the kids. Here's your mean. It's a very easy look at. This is the mean of this group. Mm-hmm. What's a standard deviation from that group? It's easy to do. Mm-hmm. Find that second standard deviation, just like we do in special education. We can do it this way. We can do it this right. way, too. The kids that are furthest from the mean are the kids that need those services. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. And those cut scores, and I understand, I do. You know, I was in... I was in a large school district in Arizona, and it's that, that status symbol of having right. my kid in a gifted program. Um, that, but those aren't the kids we're talking about. Right, right. Well, there's a lot here, and again, I feel like I've got a lot of questions about this that we can keep going, but I'd, I'd keep, we'll just have to follow up here with another podcast, <laughs> okay. I think is what we've got to yeah. do. Uh, but, you know, to, just real quickly, you know, we have a lot of educators that are going to listen to this that might be a future Kimberly Lansdowne of like, is there any encouragement for them? And I try to ask this with anybody who's, you know, doing great things in the field for a teacher who's looking at kind of your path and your journey saying, hey, I might want to be in her shoes one day. What, what advice would you give? <laughs> perseverance. Oh, yeah. perseverance. It just is. You are going to get, and, and I know that you have, and I certainly have, I've gotten a lot of no's. Mm. no. No. And so I just kind of circumvent around those <laughs> no's, right? Uh-huh. Um, the other thing, too, that I think is, is in every teacher's heart and mind um, is it's about the kids. Hmm. 
It's about the kids. That's all. And if you can really persevere and just make sure that that kid is your focus. And I, uh, year after year after year, I would have a different kid that, you know, was, was that, yeah. that goal kid. Um, but persevere. It, it just, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get a lot of, um, a lot of help in gifted education. Um, yeah. And so, and find your group. I mean, I have such a strong group of people that I work with that um, support me so much. And that's really, that's very helpful as well. So not just having kids find their group through great assessment and evaluation, you need to (laughs) find yours too. Right. Well, we're so glad to have you on here. We're going to transition to our fast five questions so people can learn a little bit more about you to see if you're in their group, so to speak. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Okay. They're just, they're simple. They're fun. Okay. If your closest friends, question number one, how to describe you, uh, actually your number one strength, what would your closest friends say your number one strength would be? Oh boy, my number one strength, um, having fun, like yeah. joy. Like I want to mm. have joy every single day in my life and I seek it out. Like I, that's my number, I think that that would be just joy, just have fun with it. Don't take things so seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. Before this podcast, you talked about some travel <laughs> hiccups getting here, and you did it with a, with a smile and an encouragement, and yeah, so I could tell. Yeah. I could tell. All right, if you had to describe yourself as a cartoon character, which cartoon character would it be and why? Oh, I know, that's, this has been the toughest question character. I've ever asked, I feel like, to... Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I would have to come back to you on that. Okay. I am sorry. There is nothing coming into my brain right now. That's okay. Now. You've had a long day. It's all right. <laughs> we'll come back. Question number three. What's one strategy you wish you used in your first year of teaching or in the beginning of your career that you now know of and champion today? Like, man, I really wish I would have known to do blank. I wish that um, as an early educator that I use the resources of my team Mm. over the years i have i build teams that's what i do it's really one of my greatest professional strengths is that i bring people together Mm. and once you bring people together and teaching is so isolated it is such an isolating experience and when i was younger i felt like i mean that was what i did you know mm-hmm. you come in every day you go into your classroom you shut the door and then you come out for lunch and you have lunch with your colleagues but if we as a, a, a team if we come together to support each other mm-hmm. that is i think for me that is the the biggest change that i would have i would have sought that out much much earlier yeah but i didn't know i think that's good advice to a young teacher listening of leaning on other people and knowing mm-hmm. to do that and that's great. Okay, you're doing great. Question number four. <laughs> Who is one person you could not imagine being without in your educational journey? There's so many. There's so many. That mm-hmm. is such a hard question. And what if they were a cartoon character? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in my, ed- in my personal educational journey, my professional? Are you leaving that up to me? It's up to you. Oh. <sighs> I think we tend to get more of the professional, but whatever comes to mind. So I probably a lot of people are going to say this, but honestly, my mother. So when I was in sixth grade Uh in 1973, 
There I don't you believe, go. I don't believe there you it. go. I, there you go. I can put my age to my face now. <laughs> I had um, I had a student, and it was the first year of uh, public law to, to um, integrate special education kids oh, okay. in my in my school. Yeah. I grew up in a very 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 small town in upstate New York, very rural, very farm. And I don't think that um, my teacher had any support for bringing special education kids into mainstream classrooms. I don't. I just mm -hmm. don't think he had a lot of support. And so um, he, he um, was a veteran teacher. And um, through, the, through the course of that school year, um, he and I had many, many challenging conversations and altercations over how he treated the one special education student that was in my class. Oh. He, and I am not kidding you, to get her attention, he would shoot rubber bands at her. Oh my gosh. So I, as a, as a sixth grade student, uh -huh. talk about bringing teams together. I taught every single student in my sixth grade class how to shoot rubber bands with like total accuracy. Really? So one day on a Friday, right before the end of the school day, right before the bell rang, uh -huh. And like one, two, three, we all shot rubber bands him. at our teacher and wow. we all hit him and I'm like jumping up and down. <laughs> I'm thinking this is the, I, I've never done anything mm -hmm. better than this in my whole life, right? I have social justice <laughs> here. Well, that lasted for about, I don't know, 13 seconds maybe right. before I was marched right down to my principal's office where I spent the remainder of that school year, it was six weeks, every day every in the day. principal's office, every single day. They couldn't go back to school. And it was a rural school. They couldn't send me anywhere right. else. And every day I would, I would sit in, in the principal's office and they would bring me my work and I would do it. And, and uh, um, at the end of every day, I would go home and say to my mother, you do realize I'm still sitting in the principal's office, right? And mm -hmm. she, she would say to me every day, Did you, was, were you part of the problem? And mm. I'd say yes. I was part of the problem. And she said, then you're just going to have to be part of the solution. Wow. Every day. Every day My mother did not rescue me. Wow. But you know what? You talk about building perseverance and really understanding what it's going to take in order to, I mean, at that point, I was certain that I was going to be a teacher. I yeah, was. Oh, really? I, I was. During that time frame that I had a lot of time to think. <laughs> yeah. You did lead the rubber band riot of I 73. Did. I yeah. did, of 1973, wow. yes. Wow. <laughs> well, that is awesome. So your mom had a huge impact on you. That's a good answer right there. Okay, question five, but then we might come back to the cartoon. We'll see. Okay. If you had to tell teachers to do one thing to develop student potential, what would it be? There's so many. There's so many answers. One thing, one thing. I would get to know them. Yeah. What do you like outside of school? What do you read? Hmm. What do you, I mean, I'm a big reader and I can connect with kids based on the books. I'm all, I'm always carrying around a book. Like yeah. I have a book all the time and I can't tell you how many times kids have said, do you like that? As a matter of fact, last week I was reading lessons in chemistry. If you hadn't read it, it's phenomenal. And I had, I had two of my students come up to me and say, are you reading that book? Yes, I am. So it's that find that thing that the kids love to do. What's, what's their passion mm -hmm. and, and show interest in it. That's amazing. Again, great advice. You have a cartoon character. Did you watch cartoons growing up? Yes. What was your favorite cartoon? 
It's not appropriate anymore, though. It's the, you know those <laughs> okay, cartoons then, uh, that nobody can watch you anymore. Re- yeah, like you, know? you can't. <laughs> yeah. So maybe uh, I'm going to reevaluate my okay. question here. <laughs> well, if people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, where would you recommend that they go? Do you have social media or website? What, what would you say? I'd, I'd say probably looking at Arizona State University. I'm on yeah. the faculty there, and I, that's a lot of my work is through ASU. Well, we are so glad that you're here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the great Dr. Kim Lansdowne. Uh, thanks again for our guest. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, We hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at renzulilearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12 and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.